Some of you are looking perhaps at my first illustration and wondering whether or not I'm going to ask you if you are a Democrat or a Republican. Um, I'm not going to do that this morning, although that would, I'm sure, be a completely easy and simple thing to do, and we'd all love that. Uh, I'm not going to do that uh, because I want to show you this image. Does anybody recognize this image? Anyone? Ben, the Matrix. Anyone heard of The Matrix, a film from the late 90s starring Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne? Um, I am not advocating to you that you go home this afternoon and watch the movie The Matrix because it is an incredibly um, violent film. Um, It was a groundbreaking film, start of a trilogy, the Matrix trilogy, um, that uh, it started in the the late 90s with the Wachowski brothers, I think is the name of those uh, director brothers who put this movie together. It is considered one of the greatest film trilogies of all time. It is certainly one of the, the second movie was the largest grossing movie um, of its sort for about 13 or 14 years. So it was a pretty successful series of films. This image denotes an absolutely pivotal scene in the first of the Matrix movies. It is a scene in which Lawrence Fishburne, who's Uh, character's name is Morpheus, is sitting with the character Keanu Reeves, his character's name is Neo, and they are sitting in two chairs across from each other, and Lawrence Fishburne is sharing some stuff with Keanu Reeves about a choice that he's going to confront him with. He's saying, there is this thing that if you believe this is true, it will lead you to a certain series of actions And that actually leads to the rest of the film. Or if you believe this is true, you take this pill and that leads you to another series of actions. He doesn't do this one. I think the red is the one that he chooses, not the blue. Now, I'm not going to go into what those choices were and what the implications are. If you want to, I would encourage you, um, if you've never seen the, uh, the movie, you may want to look it up on Wikipedia first before you watch it because it is so... It is very violent, very, very violent film. Um, But the pivotal point is that Neo has to make a choice. And by making that choice, really it's a choice of faith by taking this pill, by taking this pill, swallowing, taking it into his body. He's living into faith that then has implications for the rest of his existence. In our text this morning from Matthew 16, we're confronted with a story that gives that choice to the disciples of Jesus and then, in essence, gives that choice to us. Jesus asks Peter an absolutely pivotal question, and by extension, we hear that question today that has implications for the rest of our life if we answer it in faith. As we dig into this text this morning from Caesarea Philippi, let's ask God's presence and power on our time that he might meet us in a way that is transformative in our hearts and our lives. Father, we're so grateful that you are present here with us this morning. We've experienced your presence through our worship, 
through the sacrament. We've even experienced your presence through seeing our kids and the blessing that they are to us, a gift from you. I ask, Father, this morning, as we dig into your word and as we hear this this story from Matthew 16, that you confront us, Lord, with that choice in a way that has implications for the rest of our lives. How do we answer this question? Not just how we answer this question with our mouths, although that is certainly pivotal and important, but how do we answer this question with our lives? We pray that you do that work in us today through your spirit that is present because of the work of Jesus, because you're the only one who can. We pray these things all in Christ. God's people said together, amen. Matthew chapter 16 is where you're turning. It's about maybe one quarter from the back of your Bible. If you flip forward, you're going to receive the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. We're just going to simply start by reading that verse. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, When we see that, we see this question that Jesus is asking his disciples, we should sort of grab something right away. Jesus asks them what this son of man is. And for those of you who are around the church and have been a part of faith for a long, long time, um, that probably just sort of slips past you. Son of man, oh yeah, it's talking about Jesus. And, you know, we've heard that for a long time and I get it, but... Remember that the Son of Man is sort of one of those weird and unique terms that not everyone might understand. In fact, the Jews that Jesus is talking to, the disciples, the 12 disciples, they would have understood it in a certain way um, because he actually talked about it a little bit earlier in the text. If you look at chapter 10, he talks about the Son of Man. If you look at chapter 13 of Matthew, he talks about who the Son of Man is. But it's sort of one of those things like, what does that really mean? What is the Son of Man? We know that Jesus is the Son of God. Why does he say this Son of Man thing? Well, really what's going on here is Jesus is asking the disciples the question, who do people say is touched by, empowered by, and God is present with in this world in such a way that their, their, their work and their presence is unique? And that sort of would make sense to the Jews. That would be their understanding. They would have looked back in history and said, um, in fact, you'll see it. They named some. Elijah, perhaps Jeremiah, and even a new one in their world. They talk about John the Baptist. These are people who they've seen in the world around them that there has been a special power and touch by God. And so that would have been sort of the tradition that Jesus was asking this question question into. That they sort of saw, okay, there were people who were touched and God was present with them. um, But they didn't have it all figured out. There was no pat answer, who is the Son of Man? Thus, the various answers that they give. Let's dig into those answers. Verse 14 and 15 say this. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. And listen closely to this question. Who do you say I am? And if you're listening, you hear really quickly that Jesus made a subtle shift. 
Because before he was saying, who is the general idea of the Son of Man? Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And oh, we have all these tradition of talking about Elijah or Jeremiah or now John the Baptist because he's doing all these amazing things and, and amazing things are happening around him. But Jesus is making the connection for the disciples. No, guess what? I am the Son of Man. Hear this. And for you to ask the question, or for you to answer the question, who I am, helps us better then understand what this person of Jesus is then to the disciples and also then to us. His question is for you, friends. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, on Friday, when I sent the email in sort of a precursor to this morning's sermon to the, the prayer chain, if you're not a part of that, you can contact the, um, uh, Rachel here in the office. She'll make sure that you get those, those emails, rachel at thereversecrc.com. That gets you sort of prepped for some of the stuff that I share on Sunday morning. Um, I asked this question, um, you know, who do you say Jesus is? And certainly there are some answers that we would give, right? Who is Jesus? He's Lord, right? How many would you say that? Jesus is Lord, yeah. Sure. He's my Savior. He's the son of God, right? He is the Messiah. There's all these different answers that we can give. And and frankly, let's be honest, that's exactly what's happening upstairs right now, right? We're talking about Sunday school answers. All of our kids can give those sorts of answers. But the question that Jesus is really asking his disciples and us this morning is, do you believe it? Do you believe that? And to sort of challenge us with that idea this morning, um, I want to think about where we might ask that question. Some interesting spots where we might ask this question. Um, On the floor of the Capitol in Washington, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Interesting to think about in that context. Go down to Hollywood Boulevard. And all in the the studio row where all the studios produce movies and television shows for the whole world. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Or even harder, perhaps, go north to San Fernando Valley where 70 to 80% of the pornography is produced in this country. Do you believe in Jesus as the Messiah? Go into some dark spaces in our world. Places where there is child trafficking or trafficking, human trafficking going on. Going to places where there's human slavery. Going to a war zone. Think about this in a context of Syria right now. Or some of our African nations which continue to battle through massive civil wars and tribal violence. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah while you are surrounded by bloodshed? Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah if you go into various neighborhoods, tougher neighborhoods, racially segregated neighborhoods? Places where it seems oftentimes where there is no hope. Maybe asking this question, if you are a person who works in social services in some of the dark spaces that you have to go with your work, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Because if we do, there are implications for that. There are implications for that in all of those spaces that we believe that Jesus is Lord of the Capitol building. 
that we believe that Jesus is, the, is Lord even in spaces where pornography is produced, even in spaces where there is human trafficking going on, that we believe Jesus is Lord even in places of injustice and brokenness and very hard things for us to think about as followers of Jesus. And it means then that we live into that. That we are then saying, I trust you, Jesus, with this, with every part of the geography of our planet and the things that go on in these various spaces. I will live my life in faith. That's really what Christ is asking. Now, that may sound really easy right here, right now. We sing worship songs. We've had communion. Everyone's sort of smiley and shiny when we come on Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about. This is sort of the good space. But what about in a couple days when your taxes are due? What about Chuck and Joy Griffin, who are right now at the ICU over at Loma Linda because he's having a really bad weekend. What about Herm Verhoeven in the hospital room that you're going to go to a little later today, Verhoeven? What about in the doctor's office when there is the diagnosis? What about at your kitchen table when the hard conversation happens? What about in bed with your spouse when they say, I don't know that this is working? Do we then live into those spaces in the faith and the trust that Jesus is Lord? Because that's really us deciding which pill to swallow. We're confronted in those moments with living like Jesus is Lord with everything that we are. Or not. That's where this is hard. Not here. Here it's easy. Yay, Jesus! Not so much. When the money runs out, the health is gone, and there's brokenness in your life. It's a lot harder to do it then. Jesus gives an an or Peter gives an answer to Jesus' question. And there's massive implications that we can learn from and how we think about this in our lives. Verse 16 and 17 say this. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now, here's an interesting thing about what Peter says right there, there's a threshold that is crossed that to my knowledge, and I did a little bit of study, I didn't dig in depth and maybe there's something there that I missed. So if I did, please forgive me. But Peter, in essence, right here in this moment becomes the first Christian. There has never been another Christian before this moment because for the first time, A person has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. And here's why that is important. Really quickly, keep your fingers in your your text in um, Matthew 16 and turn over to Romans 10. It'll be about maybe 100, 120 pages ahead ahead of you. Romans chapter 10. And you're looking at verse 9. 
There it says this. Paul is writing to the Roman church. These are people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. He says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, again, this is important. How many of you can proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Okay, then say it with me. One, two, three, Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's one step. Good, God be praised for that. I'm grateful, thank you. Now I want you to say it if you believe it in your heart with everything that you are. Okay? Say it if you believe it in your heart with everything that you are. Okay? One, two, three. Okay. Let's be clear. You do not ever have to worry about whether or not you're saved. You hearing me? Friends, I want you to be clear about that. Because Paul says it here. If you confess with your, with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you are safe. Eternity is yours. Get ready, because the mansion, whatever it looks like, for some of you it's probably going to be a condo. For some of you it'll probably be 6,000 square feet. God be praised for whatever it is that he gets. You got that to look forward to. And let's be clear about that. You don't ever have to worry. And the reason I say that is because there is so often that people worry whether or not they're saved. They come to me and they say, Pastor Scott, I don't think that I'm good enough. This is not about being good enough. It's about Jesus being good enough. In fact, that's what the text says. Look again at Matthew 16. And it says this. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by what? Flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So salvation is not at all conditional on you. You hearing that? You can never stink enough for God to reject you if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's, your salvation is not going to change. Ever. You can never do anything. This is worth writing down. and wasn't given, uh, This is not mine. This is somebody else. You can never do anything to make God love you less. And you can never do anything to make God love you more. Because it doesn't have to do with you. And it's everything to do with him. It's been revealed not by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. So, we've got salvation. We're clear, right? Everyone feeling good about that? Good, your eternity is sure. Thumbs up. Good day. But then, there's implications. Verses 18 through 20. And I tell you that you are Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Listen to these two verses, or this verse. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was a Messiah. Okay, salvation is sure. It's clear that Peter is the first Christian. He's the first person who can claim eternity with all of his life and all of his heart because he has been promised that gift by Jesus himself. But then Jesus says, okay, now it's time to get going. You're going to be the one on which we build the church. And Peter, when you do something, when you, when, whatever you do, it will be done like it is in heaven. If you bind something, it will be bound in heaven. And if you loose something, it will be loosed in heaven. In essence, what God is saying to Peter, I'm going to work through you and I want you to be involved in it. This is sort of one of those strange things where we get God's sovereignty and human free will coming together like this. It's hard to tell because we've already heard salvation comes from God the Father. It's not dependent on human free will, right? We've already heard that. But now God is saying to Peter through Jesus Christ, guess what, Peter? It does matter now what you do next. If you bind something, it's bound in heaven. If you loose something, it's loosed in heaven. And he's saying, Peter, how much of your life are you willing to give to my kingdom? Because if you loose it, if you loose the Holy Spirit, it's going to be loosed in a way you've never known. And if you bind me and my spirit, it's going to be bound. It's going to be bound. Now, here's why, and I'm sorry, I get, I'm going to get to something really, really important in a moment that I, and I wish I almost would have done this differently because I'm fired up about it right now and I don't want to go there. But I got one more thing yet. Where does he do this whole thing with Peter and the disciples? Where does this happen? Caesarea Philippi. Has anyone ever been to Caesarea Philippi? Okay, here's what Caesarea Philippi is. It's a place, it's actually significantly north of Nazareth. This is as far north as Jesus is going to get in his ministry. 40 to 50 miles away from the Sea of Galilee, away from Capernaum, which is his hometown. Or Nazareth, which is his hometown. Quite a bit north. But there's something going on in Caesarea Philippi, even in this time, that is really important. It's a place for a temple. It's a temple to the god Pan. Anyone ever heard of Pan? You know, Isam Fear, master of the Pan flute. You ever heard that guy? Remember him? The old, that Pan is, the, Pan is the god of shepherds. He is the god of meadows. He is the god of the outside. And here in this place... At Caesarea Philippi, they built a temple to him. There's a spring that was flowing like crazy. It's not flowing so much today. It's still there. You can go and visit it. But Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples about whether or not he, they believe he truly is the Messiah right in a context, right in a place where there is another God that they can choose. Red pill, blue pill. You see the blue pill. There's a God of flutes and shepherds. Or there's me who gives you all power and hope and life. Which one will you choose? 
Now, friends, of course, again, we're in church. I've been getting fired up up here, and you've heard these things, and of course you're going to say, I picked this one. But again, do you pick it? Do you pick it on Tuesday? Or on Thursday? At 11 o'clock at night? In the different spaces that you go to, in front of your computer, or on your smartphones? Do you pick that space to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord or instead do you swallow some sort of idolatry, another God, this pan thing? Maybe it's, maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's your addiction. Maybe it's something else that you allow yourself to be consumed by. And Jesus is sitting here saying to you, all of us, I, I asked you the question. And in front of Pastor Scott and a whole bunch of people, you said, Jesus is Lord. But what about in this space? What about in this spot? I am astounded by how much these are idols in our lives. I am astounded by how much our news gathering and the news that we watch is an idol in our lives. I am astounded. Frankly, friends, first step is admitting you have a problem. I am a reforming workaholic. That is an idol. My work and how much I can be consumed by it is an idol. And I am picking the blue pill with that instead of saying, God, you are the Lord. Over everything, come, fill me up. Don't allow me to be consumed by work or by my family or by something else that takes me away from you because I want everything you have for me and not what I want. It's so important for us to understand that Christ asks us this question in every part of our lives. So the final question simply becomes this, what are you binding and what are you loosing? That was the call that Jesus put before Peter. Where are you loosing the Holy Spirit in the world around you and where are you binding it up? For us to ask that, for us to then, if we ask it, live into it. For us to, in faith then, allow the Holy Spirit to fill up every part of our lives. And I know how hard this is. I am a horrible sleeper. It drives my wife nuts because at three o'clock in the morning, I'm consumed by how Scott is in control of his life. And for me in that moment to hear, Father, I allow you to run rampant through me. I don't have to worry about these things. I don't need to worry about my kids or about my work or about the church or about the budget or about whatever because, Father, it's yours and I want to live like every part of my life is yours to rule and to equip me to live into and to bless and to allow the world to see Christ in me because I'm not consumed by anything over here but instead by who you are to me. It's hard work. That's a challenge. 
But we pray, friends, that the Holy Spirit comes and equips us to that end because we want to see the kingdom huge, don't we? You know how the kingdom of God is huge? It's loosed. And it's loosed through you. It's loosed by you being willing to say with your words, with your mouths, and with your lives and your actions, I want to show the world the love of Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it is that I can in my world. I'm not going to bind the Spirit and say, I'm afraid of doing this. I'm not sure how someone's going to receive it. If I go out into the lobby and grab a card, grab, you know what? Grab three cards. Here's your challenge. Grab three cards. One for this person who lives over here, one for this person who lives over here, and one for that person who lives over there. And go over there and say, I've been praying for you. Pray before you go so you're not lying to them. All right? I've been praying for you. And I want to share with you an invitation to ask you to be a part of what God is doing in his world by inviting you to our Easter services. Don't allow yourself to be bound by this idea. You know what? Our dogs don't get along. Because our dogs don't get along, it's going to be a problem if I go up. Don't be afraid of that. God is the God of all things, all nature, including your puppy. All right? He is going to allow the Spirit to move how He's going to. Don't bind Him. Don't bind Him to this cubicle or to that person that you see every day at the gas station or at the coffee shop or wherever it is. Don't you and I be afraid of God not being capable of handling our stuff. Walk out of here and look at those mountains. He put those up at a breath. You don't think that he can handle your garbage? Now, I'm preaching to the mirror right here. Because I'm that guy too. This is a question for me. Friends, as we go from this place this morning, you've been equipped by this. Body and the blood of Jesus. The grace has changed your eternity. You just assured that you have a lease on a place, pretty good spot in heaven. Go out of here and loose that truth on the world. Let's pray. You are present in us, O Father. We have confessed with our mouth and we have believed in our hearts. Jesus Christ is Lord. Our eternity is sure. Pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you now allow us to stand in that gift and in that power and in that life and in that hope that the world might see you in us. Lord, don't break our bindings. Break the hold on some of our stubbornness. Break the hold on some of those stubborn Dutchmen and women who are so stuck in what it is that they have always done that they are not willing to move into what it is that you have given them. And that's for everyone, not just Dutch women or Dutch men. For all of us, Father, we want to be loose with your spirit to the world in such a way that people can see Jesus. 
That people can, through who we are and how we are broadcasting that spirit with our lives into hard spaces. People we disagree with sometimes. People that we are complacent with. People that we've had conversations with before and felt like they didn't go anywhere. Wherever it is, Father, do not let us bind you. Instead, break our grip on those spots that we might allow your spirit to be free to work how you are going to work. And Father, may we do this in faith and trust that you have a plan and a purpose here that is greater than what we can ever think of or imagine. I also pray for those folks here this morning who perhaps couldn't in truth say those words that Jesus is Lord because they don't believe it in their hearts. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you invade their lives, make them uncomfortable with anything else except you. Make them uncomfortable in whatever spaces they claim as their own so that they, their grip is broken on those places and they can do nothing but reach out to the hand of Christ who offers them hope and eternity. Again, Lord, this is you. It's not us, not our capacity, but it's yours. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.